Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Welcome to Fabulous Fruit Friday on the Garden Basics podcast. Ed Livo drops by, fruit tree expert, and he tells us about a peach variety that is resistant to peach leaf curl. It's called the frost peach. You just might want one for your yard. Plus, Ed and I do a deep dive into the mulch pile. We'll be singing the praises of topping your garden with wood chips, tree trimmings, and more. Oh, don't worry, we won't sing. But we do harmonize on how much mulch can make your gardening chores a lot easier. And our favorite retired college horticulture professor Debbie Flower explains why feeding your plants too much fertilizer is not doing them any good at all. It's episode 53 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast brought to you by SmartPots and TomorrowsHarvest.com and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. It's Fabulous Fruit Friday, and we are talking with Ed Livo from TomorrowsHarvest.com. And we're going to add another F to Fabulous Fruit Friday today. It's frost, and we're talking about the frost peach. And Ed, tell us about the frost peach. I, I know that for people who have problems with peach trees, this might be the cure that ails you. Hey, Fred, I thought the frost would be a great peach to talk about this week, simply because, you know, peach leaf curl is a pretty common problem for home grow home fruit growers. And as a matter of fact, frost peach is one of the most popular of the peach leaf curl resistant varieties. So going into this, you know, fruit planting time of the year, um, and if peach leaf curl has been something that you're aware of and you're dealing with and you really would like to get a variety that actually has that resistance to it, frost peach is a great selection. Peach leaf curl is a disease that when you get it on your peach tree, you know there's something wrong. It usually happens in late spring, early summer, and you'll see all this puckering, red puckering going on the peach leaves. The thing is, it's not fatal. But it looks bad and it can seriously lower the health of the tree year after year after year. So if you live in an area where you do get peach leaf curl, it's usually areas that have wet springs followed by warm weather and then another rainstorm. Peach leaf curl is best controlled by choosing a variety that is resistant to it. Well, you know, and one of the great things about the frost peach is that it actually was developed by Washington State University, and it was a select seedling that was brought into the university by uh, Mr. Herb Frost. Uh, they tested it for around 10 years up in the Pacific Northwest to determine its um, peach leaf curl resistance. And of course, peach leaf curl is just a huge problem in the Pacific North Northwest. And so uh, determined it to be, you know, roughly about 65 to 70 percent resistant. Um, which is good enough. I mean, if you're if you've got 65 percent or 70 percent of your tree that's clean every year, and as that tree gets a little bit older, a little bit older, and that small percentage that actually gets affected is it kind of blends into the tree as it gets full. Um, you almost don't even notice it. No chemicals needed, and plus 
you know, he has a great variety of fruit that, um, you know, you can you can enjoy and don't have to worry about whether or not it's had chemicals all over it. And you're not kidding about that. And it's getting more and more difficult to find an effective chemical control for peach leaf curl. In the past few years, the amount of copper sold in the copper compounds used to control peach leaf curl has been reduced dramatically from what, 49 percent to 8 percent which means if you don't get a good application on there and probably a repeat application, or if it rains too soon after application, you're going to keep getting peach leaf curl. And so why not just pick a peach that is resistant to peach leaf curl? Yeah, definitely. Frost frost is a, a good piece of fruit, man. I mean, it's a, it, it's a really tasty piece of fruit. And when it first came out, I think it really, it, it, it kind of just lit the whole industry on fire because, you know, we expected this whole group of peach leaf curl resistant varieties to just follow, but they didn't. And there are just a few and frost remains one of the most popular of all of those peach leaf curl resistant varieties. And it's still recommended by the University of California for choosing a peach that has a, a, a peach leaf curl resistance. Absolutely. And and it does all those things peaches you want peaches to do because it's got that firm flesh. And so, you know, it's good for, you know, making peach pies and it's good for throwing on the grill. It's great for fresh eating. Um, so, you know, multi-purpose fruit. It's not uh, it's it's not a, um, uh, a, a let's say a un- there's no uniqueness to it that singles it out in, in one particular genre. It works in every any any peach application. Well, you know what you're not talking about, though, is it's a pretty tree, too, because it has double flowers. It does. It, ha- it has a semi-double flower. It's a real big flower, and it is very pretty, and it's, it would work at a, as a focal point in anybody's yard. And if you think about it, you know, not requiring, you know, much extra care whatsoever. I mean, here's a great variety that just pruning, of course, you know, just pruning and keeping the tree under under um, size control, then just enjoying the fruit. And the fruit is even ornamental as well. So you go from the beautiful pink flower in the spring, and then you go to the beautiful yellow fruit, of course, in the mid-season. Uh, I mean, what what better tree could you have in your yard, both uh, fruiting and functional? The Frost Peach, it's available at tomorrowsharvest.com. Of course, caring for your fruit tree, any fruit tree, uh, will help it live a nice long life. And I think uh, one of the secrets we've discovered over the decades, Ed, is the magic of mulch. Yeah, you bet. You know, and I, I think it's probably the second most important thing to size control myself. I, I'm not so sure at a time when I first started in my fruit growing endeavors that I didn't look at mulch first as being the most important thing. And and I think I was an early adapter of, you know, soil being, you know, incredibly important in the garden. And it may very well have something to do with the fact that uh, I had to learn most of my early early um, techniques in gardening in Napa, where the soil is absolutely terrible. <laughs> really? So, oh, man, the soil is, ter- is terrible in Napa. So I, I was an early adapter of mulch and learning, you know, the, the benefits of mulch from from oh books like California Fruits, uh, doc, uh, written by Dr. Wixon in the early 1900s, was probably one of the most enlightening books that I ever read in my life. And then, and then of course, um, acting with groups like the permaculturists and some of the early edible landscape people who are already mulch adapters, and 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 watching those great um, Victory Garden shows and things like that. It, there were a lot of these people that were advocating mulch early on, but you didn't see it 
in practice in the 70s, late 70s, even and even in the early 80s, it was still kind of considered hippie science. But, you know, mulch, you, you and I both know the, the, the power of mulch now. Mulch is great for helping to preserve soil moisture. If there's a drought, it helps to keep weeds controlled. It keeps the roots cool during the hot, dry summer months. Uh, it improves the soil because as it breaks down, if you use an organic mulch, if you're using like arborist tree trimmings, which is great stuff and it's free, as it breaks down, it's adding life to the soil. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and, and I think that that's one of the things that I looked at first. You know, it, it, it's funny because I thought that, you know, the way nature works is it drops leaves on the ground, the leaves decompose. And I always imagined that that, that was the cycle, you know, and I do mean imagine because there really wasn't anything that was really heavy on saying, well, this is the cycle. And so I always said, man, you got to put stuff on the top to improve your soil. So I, I, I started to look using a lot of straw when I first started out. It's probably straw, but I've gone to, of course we all love now you know of course wood wood shaving or wood wood trimmings tree trimmings they're excellent they're the best and that's my my whole garden now and most all my pathways are all in that i love that stuff and if you prefer a neater look you can go out and buy a few yards of bark yeah, yeah, I like the quarter inch pathway bark, um, just because it uh, makes a nice solid mulch, but plenty of porosity, plenty of air movement inside. But it really, I I I find has a very very cooling effect. I like um, about uh, two to four inches of mulch um, spread out to two to three feet outside the canopy. So however wide your canopy is, you should go to two to three feet outside that canopy because. That's how far the roots extend out past the trail. They extend out quite a bit further than that, but you're actually optimizing what potentially is the primary root zone. And it may hurt you to do it, but if you're planting a fruit tree in a lawn, clean out that lawn two to three feet all the way to beyond the canopy of the tree, because the lawn is going to compete with that tree for water and nutrients. And so just mulch that area and you won't have that competition. I think I think it's always best to mound when you're in a mo if you're growing in a, in a lawn as well. Just just simply because I think trees benefit from being mounded. But then, of course, I've always liked mulch on top of my mound after I get my mound created, simply to maintain the integrity of the mound. It helps it uh, keep from washing away, helps it keep from shrinking and settling. And so mulch even works in that capacity as well. And we should point out when we're talking about mounding, we're talking about planting the tree on. On a mound, not mounding mulch next to the tree. Correct, right? Mount, mounding, of course, is is a technique primarily used for poor drainage. I like it in a lawn simply because the lawn is going to get watered far more frequently than the tree absolutely needs water. And so, in many cases, you're really encouraging, you know, a surface root system on that tree. That tree is going to be very, very dependent—not dependent, but but it's going to be raised on you know an, an extraordinary amount of water. I think it's best to have a portion of that root system that's established above the lay of the uh, of the uh, lawn so that um, you've always got oxygen available. That's a great idea. And it also keeps the tree's number one enemy away. And that's a string trimmer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How many trees have you seen damaged right there at the near the bottom of the tree, near the crown area of the tree that have been whipped by the string trimmer because somebody's trying to get really close to get that last weed or that last blade of grass? And then they accidentally whip the tree and that can ruin the pipeline for the tree. 
No, that's so true. And and I mean, even to take that one step further, if you're mulching, you know, I, I always heard people say, oh, you know, you mulch, it cuts down the amount of weeds that you have. Well, it doesn't cut down the amount of it cuts down the amount of weeding that you need to do. I'll 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 um, uh, support that notion. But but actually what it does is it makes weeding so easy because the roots all uh, of those weeds are establishing themselves in all this loose mulch and pulling them out as a breeze. <laughs> SmartPots are the original award-winning fabric planter. They're sold worldwide. SmartPots are proudly made 100% in the USA. SmartPots are also BPA-free. There's no risk of chemicals leaching into the soil, your herbs, vegetables, and other edibles. That's why organic growers prefer SmartPots. SmartPots' breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. Smart pots come in a wide array of sizes and they can be reused year after year. Speaking of the cold weather that's on the way, if a frost or freeze is in the forecast, moving your frost tender plants that are in the smart pots that have handles makes them even easier to move closer to the house for added warmth, or you could even move them inside for the winter. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight fabric containers. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred for more info and that special Farmer Fred discount on your next Smart Pot purchase. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. Let's continue our discussion of mulch with fruit tree expert Ed Livo and why mulch can be so good for your yard and garden, but you got to be careful what kind of mulch you use. Now, you're, if you read a lot about mulch, you'll see that some people will use grass clippings, some people use compost. Uh, with compost, you got to remember that that uh, could serve as a base for any seeds, weed seeds that blow in. It's still, I mean, it's better than nothing. I, I would use compost before I would use rocks, for example. Yeah. And, you you know, I think you and I a couple of years ago had a discussion about rocks. I think we had UC study that came up that said rocks aren't too bad. Um, but the, the fact is, is that compost to me, again, I like compost. I'm, if I'm going to use compost, I'm going to use compost that isn't fully composted. That's not all the way down to almost a humus. So I'm going to I like to use that compost that is unsifted and put that on the surface. And then I like to top dress it maybe with a bark or something like that. So it's almost like I'm I'm trying trying to stimulate the microbiology and stimulate the um, the development of of um, of mycelia underneath that uh, into that root zone as well. That's exactly what I did a few years ago in an area where I planted uh, some peach trees in in that we ripped out the lawn, then I put in 2 inches of compost and then 4 inches of uh, a woody mulch, uh, chipped and shredded tree trimmings. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and to be exact, I, that's the way I've done it always. I mean, it's a little bit more involved, and I find that you know the trade-off. It's not necessarily something you have to recommend for everybody. So I I say any mulch is good mulch, but if you really want to get really good about it, I mean, if you really want to create an incredibly wonderful environment to begin with when you're first planting your tree, I think that combination of compost down first and then a nice decorative kind of 
uh, bark or or shredded tree shredded tree tree trimmings on top is a wonderful combination to activating the microbiology of the soil around your fruit tree, and and that absolutely is a benefit. Mulch is incredible stuff, man. Now you mentioned, <laughs> and and rightly so, to be spreading that mulch two to four inches deep out two to three feet from beyond the outside of the canopy of the tree. It's also important to remember to don't let it touch and rub up against the trunk of the tree or what's called the crown area of the tree. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I think I've always been kind of one that maybe a little neglect, neglect that a little bit. My trees are all mulch right up to the crown. So, I, <laughs> but Yes, I, I do support that. And what, what I find is that if I'm going to uh, apply that um, approach, what I do is I'll taper it. I'll start with very, very little to no mulch right up against the crown and then kind of taper it out, um, going out, um, say, three to five inches, you know, and then start um, kind of um, bringing, you know, getting it deeper and deeper as you go out. Hmm. All right. Now, some people may be tempted to use grass clippings as a mulch. And I don't know, I, I think it, it can lead to problems, especially if you're growing the wrong sort of lawn. If you have a Bermuda grass lawn, for example, you oh, yeah, don't really want to be using that for clippings. Yeah, no, not at all. But I find that grass clippings, I, I and, you know, it, it's it's worth being it's worth uh, bringing up simply because in my experience I've seen lots of people like to throw their grass clippings underneath their fruit trees and grass clippings a lot of times will mat and they'll mat and they'll almost mat to a point where they'll cut off oxygen they'll cut off you know um, oxygen penetration into the root zone and at the same time moisture penetration into the root zone as well so I'm not a big fan of grass clippings as a mulch. I like those, put them in a compost pile and, you know, that um, they work as your, um, you know, to help uh, keep your compost pile active. Well, if if people insist, though, on using grass clippings, remember, moisture is your enemy when it comes to uh, the matting effect. So what you can do after you cut your lawn is spread out those clippings on a thin, thin layer on concrete and let it dry out there for a few days and then sweep it up and then Sprinkle it around your fruit trees. Yeah, good idea. Yeah, that 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 would work well as long as that you, you don't allow them the decomposition pro process to occur under the fruit tree. I agree, Fred. That makes good sense. Yeah, just dry them out first. Mulch yeah. is your friend. It is. <laughs> you told me years ago that you don't fertilize your fruit trees. The mulch does all the fertilization. I, I haven't fertilized any fruit tree that I have in my yard ever. And ever and ever. All Nope. Not, Not even in the first couple of years? No, no, I don't. I, I, I simply put, I, I'm really a, a firm believer in the fact that the, the hole that I plant that tree in and the environment I plant that tree in, it's going to have to live in. And I know how to create that environment from the time it's first in the ground to, you know, when it begins to mature. And, um, and I do that with mulching. Um, and I don't incorporate anything into the soil as well, which shocks people. If I'm going to, I'm almost to the mind mindset, Fred, of that if I'm going to lose a tree, I want to lose it early. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take and wait 15 years of struggling with a tree or something like that to, to finally say, oh, I've, I've had it. I'm going to start something else. Life's too short. <laughs> so the fact of the matter is mulching makes gardening a heck of a lot easier because it's doing a lot of the work for you. It's helping keeping moisture in the soil. It's helping to control weeds. 
And probably most important of all is as it's breaking down where it meets the soil, it's feeding the soil. It's increasing the biology in the soil. It's increasing everything you want a fruit tree to be getting. Yeah. If you, you know, like in my backyard here up on the hill where I have all my fruit trees, I have about 14 fruit trees, I believe, up there. And um, it's all barked, not barked, but uh, tree tree shredded tree trimmings. And um, if you dig down, it's probably roughly about five inches deep. And and I replenish it every year. Um, and it's roughly about five inches. If you dig down right where the soil line meets my, my mulch line, I mean, it's the most beautiful collection of white mycelia that's just active. And that my, my, mycelia reaches up into the two-year-old layer of mulch. And it's so cool to look at, you know, just the way you know, everything's working. And so that kind of gives me the idea that the fertilization is absolutely occurring, but it's occurring, you know, in, in combination and harmony with the, uh, with, the, with the tree and the environment that it lives in. So let's explain what that mycelia is. If you put down a layer of bark or uh, chipped and shredded tree trimmings and let it sit on the soil for a while, and then you go back and you turn it over, you might see some white growth on the bottom of that mulch. And that's the mycelia. And that's good. It's the nutrient highway. <laughs> good, good way to put it. Yeah, it's the nutrient highway. I, and I, I think that um, that's something that I didn't start to really realize um, until probably the late 80s, 90s, something like that. Um, a, a lot of times uh, before when I was using mulch early and and in the early days, <laughs> I used to rake it every year because I thought I didn't want it to get too packed. <laughs> and so I would I would go in and I'd rake it up and like almost like I was tilling it. <laughs> but I, that wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> you, yeah, you don't have to do that. You can put that mulch down. It'll be fine by itself. Now, like you said, the only thing you're going to have to do is maybe replenish it every year or every other year. So often you go into people's yards um, and you look and they say, oh, yeah, I mulched my tree. And you look and the tree's five years old and the, the mulch is five years old as well. And really the function of the mulch, you know, it just isn't it isn't performing anything anymore because it's, you know, it's just a few hunks of big giant bark that happen to be left. <laughs> That's it. So I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm all about replenishing. And, and it's funny because, uh, you know, like after about two or three years of replenishing, what you realize is that you can start to feel the texture of your soil as you walk on it, you know, in the environments that you're creating, you can feel that changing. It's almost like walking on a real expensive rug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you get that squishy effect and that's yeah. what you're, that's what you're going for in soil. You don't want that hard packed effect. No, you want to extend the, the period between watering too. You know, I mean, if if after the tree gets uh, gets um, established, and now you've got you know this great layer of mulch that's building, you know that root system's out there and, and and really established. Now I can start cutting back on my water. I can really start cutting back on my water. I have I have some pears up here that um, probably get they they may very well get uh, watered once a month. And uh, they're they're two espaliers, and they they get hardly any water at all, and they just they're beautiful, they're gorgeous, they just do fine, and it's just because of the mulch all that that's collected around them over the last ten years. There you go, mulching aids water conservation. It cuts down on evaporation in the root zone, and extends the time between watering. 
here we are. We, we came to talk about the frost peach. We end up talking about mulch and we can go on and on about mulch. And come to think of it, I think we have. You and I have talked about mulch since the first time I sat down with you and did your show. It was one of the first things we talked about. If you want to find out more about the frost peach, pay a visit to tomorrowsharvest.com. You can find a link to it in the show notes for this episode. And you're going to find out about all the other fruits we've been talking about on Fabulous Fruit Friday with Ed Livo from tomorrowsharvest.com. Ed, thanks for telling us about the frost peach. Hey. Anytime, Fred. Lots of fun. Here in America, we like to think that more is better. But when it comes to fertilizing your plants, you can overdose your plants with too much fertilizer, especially if you're using synthetic fertilizers with a high amount of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. That's called NPK. And you usually see the three numbers, the percentages of NPK, on the front of the box or bag of fertilizer, representing the content of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And frankly, you don't need double-digit percentages of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium in order to feed your plants effectively. In fact, if you're using synthetic fertilizers, there could be so much salt in them, it's actually drawing water away from the plant. Debbie Flower, our favorite retired horticultural instructor, says this is a problem if you use too much fertilizer. That same thing can happen around plant roots with high what we call high analysis fertilizers, fertilizers where the numbers on the bag are uh, double digits. Are you suggesting that if you use these uh, high-energy fertilizers that have double-digit uh, NPK in them, that uh, after fertilization you may want to uh, uh, water the plant again to push that fertilizer down? Well, you certainly don't want to apply them too often. You don't want to mix them any more um, uh, concentrated than the the directions recommend. In America, we often think little is good, a lot is better, and that is not true with fertilizer. If it says a tablespoon per gallon, then don't do any more than a tablespoon per gallon. In fact, it's much better if you do less. Apply it only to wet soil, so water first. Apply only as much as is recommended or less, and uh, apply it only as frequently as recommended on the label or less frequently. We've often, you and I have often used the term weekly, weekly. Mm -hmm. uh, it's particularly for containerized plants that don't have the uh, opportunity to send their roots long distances and collect nutrients from afar. But uh, if you are fertilizing your vegetable garden, it, the same would apply there. And it means fertilize every week and do it with a very low concentration of fertilizer, so less con less fertilizer per gallon of water than is recommended on the label. So that's the other kind of weak, W-E-A-K, so weekly, weekly. But yes, if you've applied it and it's just, you haven't done any of the things recommended, absolutely add some water to dilute it is your goal. You don't want the fertilizer very strong. <laughs> There's no question, fall is for planting. The air is cooler than summer, the soil's warmer than spring. Ideal conditions for getting your home orchard started with the outstanding fruit and nut trees and berry plants from tomorrow's harvest. And that includes a lot of flavorful and productive fruits that we're talking about on Fabulous Fruit Friday. Tomorrow's Harvest fine line of fruit trees is the result of 75 years of developing, testing, and growing. 
Three generations of the Birchall family have been at the forefront of research and development of plants of the highest quality. All of these beautiful edible plants have been carefully cultivated for your home garden. Look for tomorrow's harvest fruit trees at Better Retail Nurseries. And if your favorite nursery doesn't carry any of tomorrow's harvest fruit, nut, or berry varieties, you can order them directly from tomorrowsharvest.com. And by the way, when you click on the link from today's show notes to Tomorrow's Harvest, you're going to get a nice discount. It's a special for Garden Basics listeners. Let the Birchall family's three generations of experience take root in your home orchard, landscape, and garden. It's Tomorrow's Harvest. It's goodness you can grow. Visit tomorrowsharvest.com. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's available just about anywhere podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and uh, hey Alexa, play the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, would you please? Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.